Luke chapter 2, and we're going to go through verses 8 through 20. You always will in this sermon. Pick back up where we left off before the Feast of Tabernacles. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. The scripture reads, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of Yahweh stood before them, and the glory of Yahweh shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising the Almighty and saying, Glory to the Almighty in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which Yahweh has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Miriam and Yosef and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Miriam was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising the Almighty for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Let's pray. Yahweh Father, I thank you and I praise you for your word. I pray that we would receive a blessing from the teaching of your word today. pray that you'd open our hearts and open our minds to receive the truth of Scripture. Yahweh Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for all the people here. Thank you for all the different ideas, all the different thoughts that we have. Thank you for open-minded people. Father Yahweh, bless this sermon. Above all, I pray that somebody would learn something that they did not know or either understand something greater that they already do know. Father, bless the teaching of your word. Uh, it's the teaching of your word that doesn't return void. It's great for us to sing songs and testify, but the teaching of your word is, is the most important, Father, that we understand the scriptures. So help me, Father Yahweh, to present them properly today. I love you, Yahweh. I love your son, Yeshua, my Messiah. I'm so thankful that you sent him for me and for all those that put their faith and their hope and their trust and what he did for us on Calvary's tree many years ago. Father, we're thankful for grace and mercy. We pray this prayer to you, Holy Father, through your Son. Amen. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 2. Not sure when the last Sabbath was that I taught on Luke chapter 2, but those of you that were here know we went from verses 1 through 7, and what I've been doing is just teaching in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to pick that back up today. And I'll probably go from verses 21 
to 24 tomorrow for the new moon meeting. So we've got a lot to cover, a lot to get into. Hope you brought your Bible and brought your thinking cap. We're going to pick this back up in verse 8. Last time I was here, we saw how that Miriam gave birth to the Messiah. Uh, This isn't just any birth. This is the birth of Yahweh's own son. This is not just the birth of a man. A lot of people accuse me because of the way that I believe about the Messiah. They say, well, you think that he's just a man, and usually that's coming from somebody that doesn't understand or hasn't listened to what I believe. Because I don't believe he's just a mere man. I believe he's the only begotten son of the Most High. I believe he's second in command over the entire universe. I believe that all authority and power has been given to him in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28, 18. I believe all those things, but I don't believe that he is the Most High. I don't believe that he's Yahweh. I believe he's Yahweh's son. But I I lift him up. That's a high position to be the son of Yahweh, to be at Yahweh's right hand. A very, very high position. And this is the birth that we talked about in the last time I taught on this text. The birth of the Messiah. Virginly conceived. A woman that had never known a man intimately is what I'm talking about. Never known a man intimately. But yet through the Holy Spirit, Yahweh caused her to conceive in her womb. And she gave birth to her son. And she put him in a feeding trough, verse 7 says, because there was no room for them at the dwelling place. And verse 8 tells us that in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. The same region here in verse 8 is the region of Judea. Miriam and Joseph had traveled from the region of Galilee, which was in the northern territory of Israel. And they had traveled south, even though it was higher in elevation, they had traveled south to Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And there Yeshua was born, there in Bethlehem. And in this same region there were shepherds, and it says that they were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. In this day and time, Shepherds were looked upon, not derogatorily, but as very lowly, very peasantly. They weren't of high authority. Uh, You know, Yahweh could have chosen to reveal first the birth of his son. He could have chosen to reveal it to kings. We do know later on, according to the Gospel of Matthew, that there were some men of wisdom, some magi, coming from the east, probably learned about the Messiah from Daniel in Babylon, more than likely, I believe. But the first people to learn about the birth of the Messiah, minus those that were there, were the shepherds, lowly people. How many know that Yahweh uses the lowly things of man to frustrate the minds of the world? He didn't show forth the birth of his son first to a king or to a prince, but rather to very lowly shepherds, shepherds that were out in the field. There were some great men in the Bible who were shepherds. One that comes to mind, of whom the Messiah's lineage stems from, is David. He was a lowly shepherd boy. You remember the story where Samuel went to find a king for Israel? He went to the sons of Jesse, and David was not even in the running. Jesse didn't even bring David to the lineup 
And when Samuel stood up there to the sons of Jesse, he thought in his mind, the text tells us, surely Yahweh's anointed is before me. But as he went down the line, Yahweh kept telling him, no, that's not the one, that's not the one. And then he asked Jesse, he said, do you got any more sons? Jesse said, yeah, I've got another one, but he's just out tending the sheep. He's just a shepherd. Bring him to me. That's the one that Yahweh picked. Moses was a shepherd at one time in his life. He went and married the daughter of Jethro, the priest of Midian, whose name was also Ruel. He was a Midianite priest. He married a woman named Zipporah. And he was a sheep herder at the time. Abraham was also a shepherd at one time in his life. Many great men in the Hebrew faith or in the Israelite faith were shepherds. But they're lowly people. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because Yahweh, for whatever reason, and I think we're going to learn why here, Yahweh doesn't always pick the most educated people to be his servants and his servantesses, sisters. He, he doesn't always pick the most educated. He doesn't always pick the high and mighty. That doesn't mean that he never picks the educated and the high and mighty. I believe Moses was an extremely educated man. Acts chapter 7, Stephen says he was learned even in the mathematics of the Egyptians. And uh, Apostle Paul knew various languages, very educated man. I believe he was probably a member of the Sanhedrin at one time. But he doesn't always pick the educated. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. As a matter of fact, the most noble birth in the history of mankind was a baby that was laid in a feeding trough where animals ate. The most noble birth ever. Verse 27. Noble in the eyes of Yahweh, but not in the eyes of man. You mean the king that we're supposed to serve and pay homage to was laid in a feeding trough? That's what man would say. But Yahweh doesn't work like man. Amen? Verse 27. Instead, Yahweh has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise, and Yahweh has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. Yahweh has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things viewed as nothing, so he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something so that no one can boast in His presence. But from Him you are in the Messiah Yeshua, who for us became wisdom from Yahweh, as well as righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in Yahweh. That's a quote from the book of Jeremiah. See, Yahweh uses the insignificant people so that he puts to shame the significance of the world and their ways. And he uses insignificant people so that we're reminded that it's not our education, it's not who we think we are in the world, it has nothing to do with that. What it has to do is, did Yahweh choose you to be his servant? I can't tell you how many times I've witnessed to people out on the job. And there I am, pumping out their septic tank. My clothes are torn. And they're dirty, because that's what happens when you work in labor with your hands. You get dirty. I don't smell the best. I can't help it. I've been out working, toiling. 
And there I am, and I'm explaining to them something that's deep into the Hebrew Scriptures. Or I'm telling them that this is what this New Testament text means. And I'm explaining to them, and, and I know that they're just looking at me, and they're wondering, am I really supposed to believe this fellow was sent to me to tell me about the Bible? Why not send a king to me? Why not send somebody in a three-piece suit with a tie with their hair slicked back that tells me what I want to hear? You know, but that's how people think. Our Messiah didn't walk around in a three-piece suit. He didn't pay $2,000 for his clothes. The text tells us in the book of Matthew, and I think another gospel, where he told a man that wanted to follow him, he said, look, you can follow me. He said, but foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. In other words, this is not pie in the sky. When you come and follow me, it's going to be rough. But our reward is great in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, our Messiah wore sandals. His feet were dirty. He had to get them washed when he would stop by and women would minister to him and give him food. His hair was probably disheveled. He had a beard. He wasn't clean shaven. This is our Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. The one that we give homage, praise, and worship to was of lowly stature. Ron, he was born probably in a stable, laid in a feeding trough. Not many wise, not many of noble birth. <laughs> and the first people that he announced it to, that Yahweh announced the birth of his son to, were shepherds, very lowly. But you know that although shepherds are lowly, they're also important. A shepherd is vital to his flock. The flock needs a good shepherd. They need a shepherd that cares for them, not one that's going to beat them to death, but one that cares for them. When he's out there in the field like David, when he sees the lion and the bear, he destroys them. He takes up for his flock. This is what the shepherd does. Turn with me to another epistle of Paul in Ephesians. I just found this out this past week. Never knew this before. It's amazing how that the more you study, Yahweh shows you things. The word shepherd in the Greek is poimen. And in the King James Version of the Bible, it's translated shepherd. I think I've got this somewhere in my notes. I want to say about 18 times the word poimen is translated shepherd. But there's one time in the KJV, that it's translated differently. One time. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the training of the saints and the work of the ministry, to build up the body of the Messiah until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of Yahweh's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by the Messiah's fullness. I remember a long time ago, Brother Arnold told me something that was contrary to what I had been taught growing up in church, because I'd always been taught that the ministry was fivefold. They talk about the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But in the Greek, it's actually only fourfold. Pastors and teachers is one in the Greek. It's not two separate offices. It's one. So there's apostles, there's prophets, there's evangelists, and then there's pastor-teachers. You see that word pastors right there? That's the Greek word poimen. That's the only time in the King James Version that it's translated other than shepherd. 
Every other time, I believe it's either 17 or 18 times it's translated shepherd. That word pastors means shepherd, like a shepherd that looks over sheep. And what it's saying is, I'm trying to tell you here, shepherds are important. They're lowly, but they're important. Not only important to a literal flock, but they're important to a spiritual flock. It's so important that you, if you're a shepherd, that you recognize that the sheep, that is the flock of Yahweh, need you. And they watch after the flock. They want to make sure that wolves don't enter the flock. They want to make sure that no one gets deceived. This is whom the Yahweh sent the message of the birth of his son to first. People that had this type of a heart. The shepherds that were staying out in the field. It says in verse 8, they were keeping watch at night over their flock. Literally, the word watch there in the Greek is just plural. It's referring to the night watches. They were taking turns on the night watches. There were four watches of the night. And they were taking turns. It doesn't mean all of them were awake, but they were taking turns doing the night watches over the flock. Uh, this is evidence according to just about every commentary that I have, especially the older commentaries. Uh, this is evidence that our Messiah was not born on December the 25th. Most every commentator, Adam Clark, Albert Barnes, John Gill, Matthew Poole, Matthew Henry, on down the line, they all say that in the region of Judea, it was a given that once the month of November hit, the shepherds did not let their flocks stay out during the nighttime. They would bring them in. Why? Well, it was wintry. And in the region of Judea, it was very rainy. And so from November all the way through to probably the beginning to middle of March, the flocks will be brought in. And then April through the 1st of November, they would be brought out. And I'm speaking in Gregorian terms so we understand. Obviously, they didn't go by the Roman calendar. I'm speaking in Gregorian terms. So this is an evidence that our Messiah was not born on December the 25th. I personally believe that we don't know for sure when he was born. I think this is evidence that we know when he was not born. Okay, So December 25th was chosen because the Romans had a festival, and it goes back a lot further than Rome, but the Romans had a festival, and that festival was called Saturnalia or Bacchanalia, after the god of agriculture named Saturn or uh, Bacchus, which was another Roman god. And it was a winter solstice festival is what it was. Uh, on our calendar today, the winter solstice lands on about December the 21st, okay? And because the heathens worshipped the signs in the heavens, and that's the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice is the shortest daylight period of the year, longest night, shortest day. Uh, they thought that the S-U-N sun that they worshipped and paid homage to was leaving them. And so we want to appease him and make him come back to us. And so what we're going to do is bring in a lot of things into our home, like evergreens, what we call nowadays Christmas trees, things like that, things that don't die. We're going to bring them into our home. We're going to put a wreath on our door. Uh, the wreath was uh, for a symbol of the sun. Uh, the red bow represented the color, the brightness. Uh, this is all very easy. You could just pick up Encyclopedia Britannica, and you can read about all this. And they believed that they were appeasing their sun god to, to return to them. And guess what? Well, after December 21st, the days start getting longer each day <laughs> up until the day of the equinox, and then you have equal day and night. So 
I'm not going to get into that in detail, but we know for sure, based upon this text, that our Messiah was not born on December the 25th. And I've got a lot of information and material if you'd like to study that further. Verse 9. Then an angel of the Lord, and the Greek word there is kurios, I believe that should say Yahweh. And the reason I do is because many times in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, it'll talk about the angel of Yahweh. All right? We've already seen that this same terminology is used in Luke 1, verse, verse 11, where it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, the hymn is Zechariah, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Now, we know that the angel or an angel of the Lord in Luke 1.11 was Gabriel. We know that. And it's possible that Gabriel's the angel here in Luke 2, verse 9. We don't know that for certain. The text doesn't tell us for certain, but it's possible based upon Luke 1. This is the same angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. It said, he stood before them. And then it says, and the glory of Yahweh, or the Lord, shone around them, and they were terrified. The glory of Yahweh is some type of a manifestation of Yahweh. It is not Yahweh in all of His fullness. Yahweh is too set apart for human eyes to look upon. He told Prophet Moshe, which was way more holier than I am, he fasted for 80 days and 80 nights without food or water and probably nonstop. Now, I know that it says he fasted for 40 days and nights and then he came down and fasted for another 40 days and nights more than likely, he didn't eat in between. But if he did, you don't eat much when you come off of a 40-day fast. I mean, he might have had a little goat milk. Zipporah so got him some goat milk, and he drank it down and hightailed it up to the mountain and went for another 40 days. Moshe is way more holier than I am. And Yahweh told Moshe in that holy state that he was in, he said, you can't see my face. No man can see my face and live. But I'll show you my hinder parts. Hallelujah. It says that when this angel of Yahweh stood before him in the glory of Yahweh, which was a beautiful light. Remember, it's nighttime now. They're in the night watches. The beautiful light there, the glory of Yahweh, some type of a manifestation of the presence of Yahweh, it says they were terrified. And the Greek literally is they feared a great fear. All through here in Luke 1 and 2, we see that when the angel appears, there's a sense of fear. Zechariah was fearful, but the angel said, Fear not. Miriam was fearful, but the angel said, Fear not, I bring you good tidings. And here, it's the same thing. They feared a great fear, but in verse 10 it says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I'm not coming for judgment. That's what he's saying. I'm not coming to pronounce judgment. I'm not going to draw my sword and cut your head off. Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Now this good news, I'm going to get to this in a second, but this good news is about a person. This good news is not about your bank account or your best life now or, or anything like that. It's about a person. The Messiah, the Son of Yahweh, is what this good news is about. I'll get to that in a second in verse 11. But I want to notice at the end of verse 10 it says that this good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Some people think that that means universal. I do not. I think it's referring to all of Israel. The reason I think that is because look back at Luke 1 verse 54 through 55, where Miriam, in her praise to Yahweh, she says this, He has helped His servant Israel, mindful of His mercy, just as He spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So we're talking about a physical people. And then in Luke 1, verse 67, then His father, that is 
John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And he says, praise Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And so I think that the immediate context in Luke 2.10 where it says the good news of great joy for all the people, I think it's talking about all the people of Israel. I think that's the context there. What's the good news? Verse 11. Verse 11 says, Today a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, or the Master if you prefer, was born for you in the city of David. That's the good news. That's the good news. A Savior's born. He's a Savior, and the first time that He came, He wasn't a political Savior. The second time He comes, He will be. It'll be a political coming. The kingdom of Yahweh is very political. He comes back, it will be with a rod of iron. He will clean house over the earth. The first time He came, though, He was a spiritual Savior. He saved people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one says, He shall save His people from their sins. If you want to be saved from your sins, from your transgressions of Yahweh's holy law, and it's so holy, if you want to be saved from your sins, there's only one way to do it. And that's through this Savior that Yahweh birthed in Bethlehem. It says He is the Messiah. Uh, King James says the Christ. That's not the last name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, people say, as though His parents were Mary and Joseph Christ, Mr. and Mrs. Christ. No, that's not the last name. That's a title. It's a very prestigious title, but it's the title of our, of our Lord, of our Master. It means the Anointed One. One that Yahweh has anointed. I think it's parallel. This is how I explain How is Yeshua the anointed one? Acts chapter 10, verse 37. It says, You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. Verse 38 is key. How that Yahweh anointed Yeshua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good, and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because Yahweh was with him. This is why he's called the Messiah. Yahweh anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power. And he was able to go about and cure. He had that gift of healing, Brother Ron, that you talked about, more than probably anybody else. He had the gift of healing. There was not even prayers involved. He could just touch and they would be healed. It's because he had the gift. And the text says he's able to do this because Yahweh was with him. And Yahweh was with him more than any other man that's ever walked the face of this earth. Yahweh will never be with anybody else as much as as he was with his son. The fullness of deity dwelt within the Messiah in bodily form. John 3 says he is given the Spirit without measure. That's why he could do the miracles that he did to the extent that he did them. So he's a Savior... Savior from sin. He's a Messiah. He's anointed by Yahweh. And He's the Lord. Kyrios in the Greek. How do you understand this word Lord, Matthew? Well, as you guys know, and I've taught before, I don't believe that Yahweh and Yeshua are one and the same. I don't believe that Yahweh wrapped Himself in a robe of flesh. I don't believe that Yahweh is the Messiah. I believe that Yahweh has a Son. And He's the Messiah. And He is Lord of all. He is. 
He's the Lord that Yahweh spoke to in Psalm 110. Now, I know that a lot of people don't understand Psalm 110. But there are two lords in Psalm 110. There's not just one. David was speaking by the Spirit. And he said, Yahweh, that's the Tetragrammaton, the yod heh Yahweh said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. Yahweh is speaking to another being who David calls Lord. He's lesser than Yahweh, but he's greater than David. And in Matthew 22, Yeshua, he confounded the Judahite leaders because he said, What think ye of Messiah? Whose son is he? They said, The son of David. I don't believe they were totally wrong. But that wasn't the answer that the Messiah was looking for. They said, son of David. So then the Messiah says, well, if David, if he's the son of David, then how does the David in the spirit call him Lord in Psalm 110, where he says, Yahweh says to my Lord. In other words, why is David calling his son, his descendant, Lord? And they couldn't answer him. And I'll tell you why they couldn't answer him. It's because they didn't believe that he was the son of Yahweh. That's why they couldn't answer him. They didn't believe that. It said, had they have known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So, I do believe that he's Lord. He's Lord of my life. I bow down and worship the Messiah. I give him praise and honor. Matthew 14, 33 says, those that were with him in the boat, they worshiped him, saying, truly, you're the son of Yahweh. And I would bow down before him and praise him right now. And I know that everybody in here doesn't agree on what I'm saying right now, and that's okay. I'm not trying to push anything on anybody. This is what I see from studying the Scriptures, that Yahweh does have a son that he loves and that he, that he set up in a high position and he's at his right hand. And I think that's spiritual and also physical. I think that he does have a throne on the right side of Yahweh. Revelation talks about two thrones in heaven. But I also believe right hand means power. Yahweh's gave him the authoritative position. Matthew 28, 18, All authority has been given to me, Yeshua said, both in heaven and in earth. Yahweh gave it to him. Therefore, he has all authority. It's just like when Pharaoh took the ring off of his finger and put it on Joseph's ring and said, Now, you have the authority over all the land of Egypt. You're second in the throne only to me. And that's what Yahweh did to Yeshua, his son. I'm going to get off of that because I could preach for another hour on that. But The end of verse 11, The Savior was born for you in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. We talked about that. That's back in Luke 2, verse 4. Verse 12, This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, I don't know why the Holman Christian Standard Bible chose to translate this word manger here in verse 12. They translated the same word feeding trough in verse 7. Newer editions of the HCSB correct that and put feeding trough in both places. But I've got one of the older ones when they first came out. Feeding trough is correct. Manger is not a sin to say. But it's best for feeding trough. We understand what that's talking about, okay? Verses 13 and 14. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising the Almighty and saying, Glory to the Almighty in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So now we see that all of a sudden there's not just an angel, one, singular. There's a multitude. Multitude means a, a large number. And it's of the heavenly host the word host means armies. You see in the scriptures where he's called Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. 
It's di- that's different from Sabbath. It's Yahweh Sabaoth, which means Yahweh of armies. The armies of Yahweh are the angels. That's what he's talking about there. And so the heavenly host is the heavenly armies. It's the angelic creatures. It is proper to call certain men angelos. John the Baptist is called an, called an angel. So you can be a human being and be a messenger. That's what angel means. But Yahweh has heavenly messengers too. So they show up and they praise Yahweh. And this is what they say. Now in the KJV, they say this. Glory to the Almighty in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And we hear that a lot around the month of December. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That is not right. And the reason that you have the difference between peace on earth, goodwill toward men in general, like universal, and then here it says peace on earth to people he favors is because of a very slight textual variant in the Greek New Testament. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men in the Greek is eudokia. Peace on earth, goodwill to people he favors is eudokias. Small little letter in the Greek. Ancient manuscripts contain it. Much later manuscripts upon which the KJV was based back in the 1500s do not contain it. Most scholars agree today that the more ancient manuscripts are correct and it should say peace on earth to people he favors. I think that that's correct because we've got to understand Yahweh doesn't just favor everybody. Now this is not popular at all and I'm not going to teach on it for a lengthy period of time here because I want to get through the rest of my text but Yahweh doesn't love everybody. And I've taught whole messages on that before, and that's not popular because Christianity in general teaches that he does, but he is no respecter of persons in judgment. You know, if Brother TJ and Brother Tim commit the exact same crime, and Brother Tim's filthy rich and TJ's poor, I don't let Tim off because he gives me a bribe, and I convict TJ because he can't pay me. Yahweh doesn't do that. Yahweh's no respecter of persons in judgment. But Yahweh is a respecter of persons. He does choose some people over others. Uh, Brother Tim taught in his sermons a while back where Yahweh says in Deuteronomy and also in Amos, he tells the people of Israel, he said, you alone have I chosen above all the families of the earth. I've taught on that before. I'm just going to cut it off right there. The text should say peace on earth to people he favors. People that he loves, people that he favors. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, notice where they returned to. Notice where they lived. They lived in heaven. These are heavenly angels, not earthly angels. The shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord, probably there should be Yahweh, has made known to us, because Yahweh sent the angels, so it's Yahweh has made known to us. They wasted no time. They were excited. You would have been too. Praise Yahweh, they left immediately. Verse 16, 17 and 18. They hurried off and found both Miriam and Yosef and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19, but Miriam was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Could you imagine Miriam here? She's had an angel show up to her when she's living in Nazareth. She's just a young teenage girl. She's had this angel show up to her. 
Tell her she's going to get pregnant without knowing a man intimately. It happens. She travels all this way with her husband, Joseph. She births this baby. Shepherds show up and tell them, look, we were just out in the field keeping watch over our flock, the night watches. And all of a sudden an angel showed up and the glory of Yahweh showed up and there was a brilliant light. And then a multitude of angelic beings showed up and they praised Yahweh. And Mary's just sitting there thinking, this is my child. This is my son that all this news is about. He's going to be a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord. Mary's treasuring all these things up. She's meditating on them. We're going to see as we go through the remainder of Luke 2 that Miriam, she still didn't understand everything that was going on. She didn't. We'll see that later on in another message. Verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising the Almighty for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Notice that last part. Just as they had been told. In other words... The angels told them what to go look for. And when they went and looked for it, it was exactly what the angels had said. No variation. Boy, that's a faith builder. Wow, the angels told us all this. And, you know, human, human mind, we, we tend to doubt. Well, if we go, are, are, are we really going to find what the angels said? They found everything just as they had been told. Praise Yahweh. Tomorrow we're going to cover verses 21 through 24. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Yahweh, Father, I love you. I thank you. Father Yahweh, I glorify you and I just praise you for your beautiful, beautiful works. Uh, today, I'd just like to praise you first and foremost for the work that you've done for us through your Son. It's a joy to read about his birth in Bethlehem. And I give him honor and praise as your son. Thank you, Yahweh. Thank you for your truth. Help us all. If there's been anything that I've said, Father Yahweh, that's not correct, pray that you would correct me. And I pray that, Father Yahweh, you'd remove it from the people's minds. But if what I've said is true, I pray that you'd instill it in people's hearts and minds. I'm so thankful that this is still good news for us today. And it wasn't just good news for them back then. But that we today, just like them, can have salvation through the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. I place my faith in Him today. I confess Him as my Master. I believe that you birthed Him. I believe he died, and I believe you rose him from the dead on the third day. Thank you, Yahweh. Through your son, I pray. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.